series looking through the book of Acts 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus Christ ignited a body of believers that for the last 2,000 years the church has spread across the earth like fire. Right now we can't go outside and light anything, uh, any kind of outside fire because of the way everything is so dry because it would just ignite and just spread so quickly. That's what the church did in the early years. Paul, as the apostle, as the missionary, first missionary, traveling out, we had basically three missionary journeys that we know of that are written in Scripture. And on the end of that third missionary journey, Paul uh, came back to Jerusalem and brought with him a gift, a gift of money that individuals in the churches and outlying areas had given because they knew of the need for relief for that church in Jerusalem. So we find in Acts chapter uh, 21 and 22 uh, the story of how that uh, Paul came back into Jerusalem and that he was welcomed by some, unwelcomed by others. That's why we asked you that question earlier. Uh, what makes you feel welcome? Paul was not made to feel very welcome when he came back into the city of Jerusalem by others. First, there was a part of the church that still kind of wasn't sure who this Paul was, what he'd done. He'd gone on these missionary journeys, and he came back into town. There have been rumors that Paul had been going around throughout uh, Asia Minor and Greece. He would go into a city, he would go into the synagogue, he would preach until he got thrown out of the synagogue because of what he was preaching. Then he'd go out to the streets and he would preach. And there were those from those cities who had come back to Jerusalem who were telling the Jewish leadership that Paul was coming into these towns and telling them to not be a Jew. To, you don't have to do the Jewish customs. You don't have to do any of these things. And Paul was not saying that. He was going into a synagogue and he was saying, this is the way that we practice through the years. We have done all these rituals, everything we've done, but they've all found fulfillment in Christ. If you still want to do them, that's fine, but no, fulfillment's in Christ. But don't put this burden on those who are outside and those who are not a part of our Jewish heritage. And then we go to the believers who came to faith in Christ, and some are saying, well, you know, they've got to be a Jew first before they can become a Christian. Paul said, no, they don't. This is, this is about coming to faith in Christ without the burden of the law. We're free from that. So that is what Paul was teaching. He was saying to those who were of a Jewish background, if you want to continue in your background practicing all of the rituals and things that you do, that's fine if you want to do that. You're free from that. But if you want to continue doing it, know who it leads to. Where does it point? It points to Christ. To those of the Gentiles out on the outside, you say, you're brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not have to do the law. You come straight to faith in Christ. So when he came back into Jerusalem, he brought several of those from that region with him uh, to travel with them to kind of be accountable. It's a very wise thing to do. He had this large amount of money that he was taking, taking with him. He had some other brothers with him. They all kept an eye on each other. What's happening with that money? We're all making sure it gets, gets delivered. So they all came together and they came back into the city of Jerusalem. When they came into the, to the gathering of the body, the church, which James was the head of that group, James saw him come in, they talked with him, they celebrated what God had done all over Asia Minor. James said, There's some people here 
somebody just a little bit concerned about you. And so in order to make you feel more welcome among the body, we need you to do something. We know that you've made a Nazarite vow. Paul shaved his head. A Nazarite vow was a vow that was a temporary vow that a non-priest could do that entered into a temporary, almost priestly life condition. You abstain from wine. You abstain from touching dead bodies. Uh, you made a vow that you would do it. It was for a short period of time. It was a thing that some would do for a short period of time for a particular need. Paul had done that. So he comes back in the room, and part of that is going to the temple and paying your purification rites that you're going to pay. So the leaders of the church said there are some individuals here in the church who made that same vow. They, they can't afford to pay this. They, they just can't afford it. Would you go with them to the temple and help pay their tax so that they can complete their purification? Rites. Paul said, that would be fine. Paul accommodated to the needs of the church. He didn't, he didn't accommodate his convictions. He didn't accommodate the gospel message. But he accommodated to what was needed in the body. So they went to the temple and they made this, this purification up. And then they, as they were leaving, there were some individuals from the city of Jerusalem who were not part of the church who, were, who had heard this guy going around all over and he is putting down our Jewish area. And so they pointed to him and said, that's the guy. And so people began to gather around him and they began to beat him almost to death. And there were those of the Roman government who were in the area who kept control of everything. There had been a riot. And uh, just a few years earlier than that, which an individual had come in and caused this big ruckus in the city, and he claimed that he was the one who was going to run the Romans out of the city. He was going to be the Savior. He was going to be the Messiah. He was going to be the leader. Uh, he had come from Egypt uh, up to the area, and they were on the Mount of Olives, and they were going to walk, and he was going to stand, and he was going to speak, and the walls of Jerusalem were going to fall down. This is not in scripture, it's extra scripture. It's out of history that tells of the story that, uh, this, it's, it's, that you can see. Uh, I'm not getting the name of the story, but it's history that's written up this current time. This is going to happen. He said, I'm going to call the city walls to fall down. I'm going to call it the city walls to fall down. The Romans came and began to battle with his followers, and he snuck away out into the desert and left. So the Romans were always on watch or somebody else coming in. So when they saw this ruckus going on, they thought, well, that guy's come back in town. So they came in and arrested him. And as they were walking off with him, Paul began to speak to them in Greek. And they stopped. They said, you speak Greek. We thought you were that Egyptian from the wilderness who's coming back to cause this ruckus. Paul said, no, no. And he began to tell them who he was. And that's what we have in the very first part of chapter 21 and verse 27 is when he was arrested uh, after he left the city. So they were, they were bringing, going to take him in to uh, ask him questions about what he was doing. And so when, beginning at verse uh, 37 is where I want to pick up and just read a couple of things in chapter 21. It says, As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something? said, you speak Greek. He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt 
4,000 terrorists out into the desert, some time ago, Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarshish and Cilicia, a city of no ordinary, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received uh, the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps, motioned to the crowd, and when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Aramaic is a language, a Semitic language, very similar to Hebrew. It's a language that probably Jesus spoke. There are still a group of people who live in Syria who speak Aramaic. That, those folks, I think, have now been displaced. They still speak that Aramaic language. Uh, and so that language is practically a dead language. No longer many people know it. But it's very similar to Hebrew. He began to speak in that language. It was the common language of the common people. Uh, that, that era. They spoke Hebrew in the, the temple and in the religious, but in their daily life they spoke Aramaic and some spoke Greek because that was the language of culture. So he began to speak. So the point that I'm trying, that I'm wanting to make in this passage, that Paul is getting to, is that Paul was welcomed by some, unwelcomed by many, but he used this opportunity to share the gospel message. We use this as an opportunity to share the gospel message. Just as an aside, something I want to ask you to pray for me about today. Uh, it was in late August. Dr. Fenty was, I think it was his last Sunday, his last Sunday or the Sunday before his last Sunday. Um, the lady that did the fingernails for Alta Faith and the pastor's wife was retired. Her name was Lou Miller. Miller was from Ukraine. And that week, Miller's husband and her grown son, who was married, were in an automobile accident that killed both of them. And so Miller was just distraught. She was just totally taken. Her whole life had taken from her. So she called out the faith to see. She knew that Elder Faith's husband was a preacher. And so she said, can he come on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and pray over the bodies of my husband and my, my son? At 11 o'clock Sunday morning, he was a little busy on that day, especially being his last Sunday here. So he asked me, he said, I was, you wouldn't even do this faith for me. So I went out to trust him on that Sunday, and it was just hard. The bodies of her husband and her son laid and she, in Russia, just would fall upon one body and weep. And she'd go fall upon the other body and weep. And so after about 20 or 30 minutes of this, and I didn't speak any of the language that was going on, many of the other, the other friends who had gathered there as well, we finally got into the room. And I was able to share some scripture with them and have prayer with them. And then I'll know that. Dr. Henry Hawley this week said, I don't know the circumstances, but the daughter-in-law, Mary, was called and said, ask about to later today, this Sunday, to do the meetings. So, yes. And so I talked to the daughter-in-law. The took her life. She could not handle the loss of her husband and her son. And so the daughter-in-law asked if you wanted, she wanted Dr. Fenton, and we left town or something. So we asked Dr. So I'm going out this afternoon. Going out to Old Mountain, just had a couple of memorial service. 
Many of these people are not Christians. Ludmilla was not Christian. She was, her husband had religious beliefs that are Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. He would read the Bible, preach to her. Uh, they had an understanding that there was a God. But evidently Mary didn't call her all because the information she sent to me is amazing. But it's an opportunity for me to go with the language that I speak is going to be English. Many of these people only understand Russian. But I'm going to present the gospel message in a way that trying not to um, not to hurt, but to express to these individuals that there is one truth that we do know. We don't know many. We don't know why we deal with Jewish. We don't know why it happened to the person. We know it's Jesus Christ who is God. We know that. So that is what I'll be praying. But Paul had an opportunity. He was being arrested, being taken in to the barracks to be uh, questioned, perhaps mocked, which he eventually was about to have done. But before he went in, he said, can I say something? So he turned around to the group and he said to them, brothers and sisters, in Paul had a deep relational love for people. A deep relational love for these people. He called them brothers and fathers. This is a term in which he was expressing to them, You're not, we're not enemies of each other, we're brothers. You're my fathers. So those are the elders. You're my fathers. There's a relationship. And so this afternoon, when I go into that opportunity, I want to be able to be in a relational mood. And it's not somebody who just comes in that doesn't know the people. But that's what he spoke in their language also. He spoke in their language. Many times in the church, what we fail to do is Get what it's like to think back to those who were lost. And we use terms like lost. We use terms like, have you been redeemed? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And they're like, what are you talking about? And one of the things that we've got to do is be able to, what you need to be able to do is be relational in your connection with people. If you want to be able to share your faith with people, one of the things you've got to do. I've knocked on doors where I've had the opportunity to go in and sit down with somebody that I did not know and share the gospel. Very rarely did I have someone. A few times I've had people in those circumstances receive Jesus as their Savior. Most of the times they listen to me tonight and they go ahead But when it's relational, when I've had the opportunity to know somebody, be able to talk to them as a brother and sister, someone that I can build a relationship with, and I spoke with them. Paul spoke in a language they could understand. And in up as being a witness, it's a part of being that church that's ignited across this world. We need to be relational, personal, and speak in a language. Speak in a way that they can hear it and understand it. That doesn't mean just English, just French, just Spanish. That's not the language you're talking about. Talking about it in a language is hard language. So they can hear what you're saying and understand it. So Paul then shared in this, and you've heard this before, 
you've heard this plan. This is all gifts a very, very neat three-point plan how you can share your faith. First of all, he shared his life before Christ. So we're going to begin reading chapter 22, verse 3. It's read on the screen. His life before Christ, 3 through 5. In verse 3, Paul said to the people, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, the product brought up in this city under the mail. And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Talk about his heritage. His heritage of how he had grown up in another place, in another city where he had been taught. He'd been brought up in the city of Jerusalem. He studied under Gamaliel, which was the he was the harbor of that day. He had studied under him. He said, This is my heritage, who I am. Then he said, I had hostility toward the church, toward those who were followers of Christ. I persecuted the followers of this world. To their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. Also, the high priest and the council can testify. They even obtained letters from them uh, to, uh, to their brothers and the masses and there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So his hostility toward the church, these are things that he could attest to. People knew this. There are people in the city of Jerusalem who could attest to this. And what Paul, when Paul was saying this is what he did, this was 20 years before. Paul had been a believer now for 20 years. And he said, 20 years ago, this is who I was. So the first thing that Paul shares is his life before Christ. Now for some of you in this room, you're familiar like me, uh, I was six years of age when I confessed faith in Jesus Christ. I, I can remember very few things of my early life. I'm the youngest of four children. Uh, I, I've got four, three other siblings. Uh, there's a member in this church who was a friend of my sister's when they were young. And our families would be together because they had four children and there are four children in our family. So we'd get together picnics. And Janelle has brought me several pictures of those days. And, and I cherish those pictures because they're pictorial proof I existed before I was in kindergarten. Because there's no pictorial proof I even existed. Now, there are boxes of proof of my older sister that she is, but there's very little pictorial proof I exist. And so I cherish those pictures. But I know very little about my early life. I was very happy like my parents were great. But I can take you over to South Avenue, 39th place, something like that. I drive by there every once in a while, take to the house and point you to the front porch where there was a swing there and I sat with my mother and father because I kept pestering my mother how can I become a believer? How can I be a Christian? I want to be a Christian. And so finally, we went out and sat on that front porch and they shared with me how I know Jesus is my personal Savior and I prayed to see Christ I remember that vividly. And I remember being baptized weeks later, September the 2nd, September the 2nd, 1962, when I was baptized South Avondale Baptist Church, big body of believers were there, but that's where I was baptized, and I can remember those days, that's all I can remember. Some of you, your life before Christ was a long time, and there were things that you did, you can remember those days. 
And when you're sharing your faith, you don't have to go into big detail about everything about what your life was like before Christ. What you need to be able to do is, this is what I was. I was someone separated from the love of God because of my sin. And because of that sin, I had to come to that point of recognizing something had to be done. And so you come to that point in that testimony. So this is what you did. You talk about his personal heritage. You talk about his hatred for the church. You talk about these different things he had done 20 years ago. And then he talked about it in that happened. How he came to know Christ. How he came to know Christ. Verse 6. About noon I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Fell to the ground. Her voice said, we saw all your person. So the first thing was this unique event that happened. It's a unique event. This, this, this is only happened with Paul. All of us, we read this, we think, well, I've never, I've never had that event. I never had this bright light shining with a voice speaking to me. But I had that, that really was a big difference. We don't, we don't have that. That's a unique event only for Paul. Your event is unique to you. How do you keep that point? No, I need to say And so what you've got to be able to communicate is, this is my life before Christ. This is who I was. But I came to that point. The unique thing in my life. What I need, I need to say I needed someone to take my sin. I knew that I could not deal with my sin. I could not earn my salvation. I could not. You've got to separate from sin. we also got to separate from self. Self says, I can do this. Sin says, I'm not good enough. Self says, I am good enough. And both people are lost. You've got to separate from sin. You've got to separate from self. And come to that point and say, I am unique. And that's what Paul said. He there on that ground. And that unique event, he fell on that day. And there was a reality check that came. He said, I fell to the ground. And a voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I said, who are you? Who are you? That is a key question in your life. Who are you? Paul came to that point in his life where he said, there are many things in my life that were horrible. The law, my works, my diligence, my persecution, my zeal, all these things that I counted on as filthy back. But I came to realize there was just one way. All of us come to that point and say, Who are you? Who is Lord? Who is Lord in your life right now? And when you're sharing your faith with someone and you come to that point saying, This is my life before Christ, and I came to that point realizing, I was trying to be Lord. I was trying to run my life. I was trying to do my life. I was trying to do everything that I could. But I had to come to that point and say, Who are you? And he came face to face with his master. And he came to that reality that he was not doing his life. Christ was doing it. And then there were those who were witnesses to that event, verses 8 through 9, or 9 through 10. So my companions saw the light, and they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking. So there were people who were there with him that understood that this was going on. But then there was a surrender in verse 10. He said, What shall I do? Second key point in this. Not only did he say, Are you Lord? He now says, What shall I do? 
And so then you're sharing your faith with someone, and you said, this is who I was before I met Christ, this is how I came to know Christ, where I recognized He was Lord, and then there was a change in my life. It made a change in my life. And that change, it may not be uh, that big of a change, because you may be living a pretty good life. But for some, it is a radical change in their life. But for all of us, it's a change. It's a change from having ourselves as Lord to Him as Lord. And we're saying, what shall I do? What shall I do when I follow you? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuted. He replied, Cardinal, what shall I do? He said, Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. So he was given that assignment to go. And then look at verse 11. Here is his obedience. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Paul just didn't sit there and say, I keep, I keep, well, I'm not going anywhere until I get my sight back. Paul said, okay, I hear your voice. I'm going to follow you. Do what you say. Sometimes God says for us to wait. The Bible moves. The book of Psalms says it all. Wait upon the Lord. And we think what that means is just sitting tapping our foot, not doing anything. Basically, what the way of the Lord is, God gives you a command. This is what you're doing. You do that, and that is waiting on the Lord. You're waiting. You're Yes, sir, I will do this. I will follow your command. I will do this until God says, now this is what I need you to do. Waiting is not sitting still doing nothing. Waiting is obediently following whatever God has led you to do as long as He tells you to do until He tells you otherwise. That's waiting. Paul was waiting upon the Lord in those moments, being led by them into the city of Damascus. So there he shares with us his life before Christ, how he came to know Christ, and then he picks it up in verse 12, where he talks about how he was a follower of Christ, what he's doing now. said, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law, highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your son. At that very moment, I was able to see you. So he was disciple. You've got, you've got to go back and, and be able to say that there was individuals who, after you came to faith in Christ, there are individuals who disciples you from the faith. And that you can help someone who's coming to faith in Christ say, that is something you need. You don't need to be a lone ranger, off on your own. You need to be connected up with the body, connected up with an individual, someone who can disciple. Ananias was a respected, God-fearing Jew. This was a very important thing to say. Because the people recognized Paul was saying to them, I did not separate myself away from everything. And Ananias was a God-fearing Jew that I followed. And I followed what he told me to do. He was a disciple of mine. And so during that period of time, he had that, that training that he, that he had. So when that disciple, uh, he was he said, he was called to be a witness. That, and he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you. This is what an Ananias told him. Chosen you, we call it first of all, to know his will. Chosen you to know his will. Now we say, well, I don't want to know your will, God. Please just tell me what, that, what he's saying. He has chosen you to walk in obedience to him. And in doing that, in being a part of that, you'll experience God's will in your life. To know is to experience. And so, knowing the will of God 
is being in a relationship with God and experience that relationship and follow it. Your, your, your call is to know His will. And the next thing he said is to see the righteous one. You've already had that experience by seeing the righteous one. This makes Paul an apostle. To know Him personally, to see Him, to hear His words from His mouth. All these are signs that Paul is an apostle. That's the sign you have to have of seeing, knowing, and hearing the risen Christ. And have that experience. He said, and you will be His witness. You will be a witness of this. And then the last thing He said to him, be baptized. So Ananias gave to him. Paul said, this is what Ananias told him. He said, you have been called to be a witness. He said, now I want you to be baptized. Publicly express what you have personally experienced. So when you ever have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else, you begin by being personal. It's not just a rote thing. It's not something you've memorized. You'll sit down by somebody and say, hey, I need to tell you this. Build a relationship with someone. Get that relationship. And in those moments, being able to talk to them in their language. In a language they can understand. A language they can appreciate. When you're able to express to them, this is who I was before Christ. This is how I came to know Christ. This is how Christ has changed my life. That's what Paul expressed to the crowd. And he shared with them, and we're not looking at it in this passage, but he shared with them, the crowd was quiet. I mean, they were, people were listening to what Paul was saying. They were a little bit concerned when he talked about this, this Christ and how it changed them. They were, they were still listening. And the next, very next part of this passage that we're not going to look at, Paul said, and God has sent me to be a witness and when he said that, pandemonium. Years ago, I was in Diego Negros, Eagle Pass, Texas. A fellow was with us that had grown up in Guatemala. He was a missionary. So he spoke Spanish fluently, just like Randy Pelleran Church does as a missionary. He spoke Spanish fluently. So we were there in a church. One side was filled with the locals, the other side was filled with us, the missionaries. We were sitting over there. And Tim was up there just preaching away in Spanish. And everything was going good. We were just kind of sitting there just letting it happen. And in the middle of his preaching, he said the word Greek. So we're away. He's talking about us. And they all looked over and laughed. What did he say about this? And this is what happened in that day in the city of Jerusalem. All the people speaking away. Roman soldiers are standing by. They have no idea what he's saying. He's speaking in the middle of the day. They don't understand what he's saying. But he says the word Gentiles. They knew that word because that's what the Jews called them. Dogs. Basically. what that word carries the ethos. The people. Common people. And he said that word Gentiles. The place exploded. And so they had a hall, hall, hall before they could kill them. And that's what you have in the conclusion of this passage. That's a sign passage for this time. But that's part of what you'll lead into next week, how Paul moves from that point. But the major thing from this passage that I want you to see is Paul's clear witness to the state of Christ. So remember those three points. Your life before Christ, how you need to know Christ, and 
what difference has it made in our And being able to, within two minutes, within two minutes, feel sitting on somebody to share that. It's called an elevator testimony. Riding on the elevator. You've got just a minute, you can say it right there. Not sure you're going to do that on the elevator, because how can you build a personal relationship that fast? But that short of time, being able to share your testimony, practice that. Sometime this week, sit down with a piece of paper and write those things down. My life before Christ, how I came to know Christ, the difference it's made in my life. And be able very quickly write down three points and have that in your heart and pray for the opportunity with a personal relationship with someone sitting down with them. You can say, I feel what you're saying. I feel what's going on in your life. Let me tell you about something that's happened to me. It's made a difference. And by having that difference, I've been able to deal with some issues that you have. Issues still come, but it gives me a reason to be able to This is who I was. This is how I've been brought. This is how you change my life. Can you do that? Father, thank you for being here. For your blessings upon us, we are here to use this time to strengthen the